Welcome to Interviews with Innocence, a podcast about spirituality, consciousness, and exploring the wisdom our children bring into this world. I believe that our very young children are our greatest teachers. After all, they're the masters of living in the present moment, bubbling in unconditional love, enjoying the messiness of life, and curious about the universe in all its dimensions. The pure essence that young children exhibit lives within all of us. My hope is that these interviews will help us discover, embrace, and connect with the sacred core of childhood that resides within each of our hearts. I am your host, Marla Hughes. I would like to take a moment before the interview and just send out prayers and loving energy to all the Ukrainians and the people being affected by this terrible war. The women and children fleeing for their lives, leaving husbands, fathers, loved ones behind. Let us sit quietly for a few seconds. And if you're comfortable, close your eyes and send out peace and love to them. Thank you. Today, I have Helene Wabe on the show. Helene is the Director of Research at the Institute Institute of Noetic Sciences and Adjunct Assistant Professor in the Department of Neurology at Oregon Health and Science University and President of the Parapsychological Association. Dr. Wabe is clinically trained as a naturopathic physician and research trained with a master's of clinical research and two postdoctorate research fellowships. She has published on and spoken international about her studies on complementary and alternative medicine, mind-body medicine, extended human capacities, stress, post-traumatic stress disorder, and the relationships to physiology, health, and healing. Dr. Wabe is especially known for her research around and noetic approach to channeling. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. I'm a huge fan of the Institute and channeling. I was so fascinated to hear that you actually had a research project going on. So let's back up and start at the very beginning. I know you have a very personal experience with channeling as a child. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So you read my bio. So the audience (laughs) has heard this, you know, big, complex academic background and research background, etc. So what it doesn't say in there is that I grew up with this phenomenon called trance channeling. And so trance channeling is a type, a very specific type of channeling. So my mother, my grandmother, my uncle, all are trance channelers. And I, at 10 years old, my mom brought me to one of the meetings where, you know, people were sitting in a circle and my uncle was trance channeling. And my whole upbringing was filled with the spiritualist type Um, understanding of the world and how the world works. And I was deeply affected by that in terms of my personal experiences and beliefs and my own channeling experiences. And yet that was very much in the closet. I didn't really talk about it. And, you know, as I entered my clinical practice and, and research work, it wasn't really something that I talked about or brought into my work at all. And I had no idea that other people researched channeling. (laughs) In fact, there's a whole, you know, 150 year history in parapsychology um, of, you know, exquisite, rigorous research being done on what I'm calling these channeling phenomenon. 
So that's a little bit about my personal background. So I'm really excited that today I get to apply my, you know, scientific training to research questions about channeling. So right. my personal and my professional can really come together. Oh, isn't that a, a perfect, perfect match? So what was it like as a 10-year-old to sit in one of those circles? Or it was must have been just so normal to you. But what what were your thoughts that ran through your head? Well, I have to say the first one I went to was a little scary to me because my mom didn't give me much context for what <laughs> I was going to experience. So you know, I know my uncle really well. And the first thought was that's not him, you know, like that is not him talking. Um, and so just to give a little background on trans channeling. So in trans channeling, the trans channeler believes that they are acting as a vehicle for communication of a uh, non-physical entity. And that entity they believe could be a deceased person. It could be, um, you know, off uh, what's called extraterrestrial intelligences. There's lots of different supposed sources of what that non-physical entity is. Um, and the trans channeler is basically speaking in this different voice, different mannerisms, okay. and they allow them to, they're acting as a vehicle. So it's not like they're hearing something and then repeating it. Um, they basically, their bodies are just basically used to communicate. So trans channeling is a very unique subset of what I'm calling the broader definition of channeling. So I wanna make that really, really clear. Mm -hmm. um, so when I say channeling, it actually encompasses a much broader variety of experiences that range from gut hunches and intuition all the way up to mediumship and trans channeling. Right. Trans channeling is just one small slice of those different phenomena. So growing up, I was most familiar with trans channeling in these groups. And so you asked, what was that like for you? At first it was scary, you know, but I believe that my uncle wasn't faking it. There was no motivation to fake it. He wasn't getting paid or anything. And, you know, he would speak in ways that he wouldn't normally speak in and um, give messages to people in the meetings, often gave messages to me as this, you know, young um, child and then teenager growing up. I at first was worried that the spirit would jump into me somehow, and I didn't know how I would deal with that. Um, but my wariness faded very quickly. And um, those experiences and what I learned through that just really supported me to feel more comfortable in my body, more confident in my life and my kind of bigger purpose for what I was doing on this planet. Mm -hmm. Did you feel then as a young person, as you got older, that when times got tough and you were anxious or upset about something that you would go back to some of that knowledge that you glean during those, you know, those channeling, not necessarily the messages, but just that energy and, and that you felt. So one um, pretty common belief in spiritualist traditions and in my family's tradition is that, um, you know, we have spiritual guides that support us who are essentially assigned to us and can help us in our physical life. And so having that belief growing up was very um, supportive to me and very comforting. And, you know, if I hit difficult situations, I would often mentally, you know, ask for help and support. And, you know, whether we can't really prove whether those non-physical beings are real or not, and yet, on some level, it doesn't really matter because my experience of doing that was very uh, supportive to me and allowed me to be in a place of trust and groundedness and to move forward. Yes. So 
it did support me that that those concepts of the spiritual guides and feeling supported by beings in the non-physical realm yes however with all the anecdotal you know the stories out there and the research going on there there is so much research about all of this and the i guess i'll say the possible truth of it and that brings us to your book, The Science of Channeling, which just came out in September, you said. And, and I read it and it, it was amazing because it's not, I think that a lot, of, a lot of people feel like channeling is kind of this woo-woo sort of thing, but to, make, to generalize it and put it into this category that, or categories that all of us in different ways actually channel before before we get into that so let's walk us through a little bit you grew up and then your academic profile and how you ended up at the institute sure so i went after college i did pre-medicine and anthropology in my undergraduate um, schooling at uc berkeley and then i was very interested in medicine and fascinated with the body and healing and especially how the mind affected the body. So I ended up at naturopathic medical school where my specialty was mind body medicine and something called homeopathy and went into private practice after I finished school and enjoyed working with patients really appreciated that felt like I was able to help a lot of people, but something kept calling me back to research because my curious mind wanted to know how all of this worked you know mm -hmm. like it was wonderful to see the improvements in my patients but i wanted to figure out why they were improving and why the things that i was doing were helping them you know meditation training and energy medicine etc so i went back to my naturopathic medical school which by that point had a research department they hadn't when I was at school there and started as a postdoctoral research fellow and then ended up at Oregon Health and Science University where I did another postdoctoral research fellowship and that's where I really focused on mind-body medicine specifically mindfulness meditation and I received a National Institutes of Health grant to look at mindfulness meditation and combat veterans with post-traumatic stress disorder. So became a bit of a, a expert in meditation research. That is how I got invited to the Institute of Noetic Sciences or IONS because IONS held a focus group, if you will, with expert meditation researchers. And they were asking the question about what is the future of meditation? Why does meditation research, you know, there's a huge explosion around it in the West, and yet they don't ask questions about the esoteric or psychic abilities or what I'm calling channeling or spiritual aspects of it. It is a very secular inquiry into meditation and primarily its clinical outcomes. So, this was an incredible work group with researchers from all over the world. And we published a paper on our findings, which included a survey and recommendations for expanding the different areas of meditation research. So while I was there, I was completely amazed by the courage of IONS to really ask these questions that were so taboo. And I asked the CEO if there was you know, any space for me to join their team. That question, you know, led to a number of different synchronicities. And I think it took about a year and a half or two years, but I ended up joining the IONS team as a consultant and then as an employee scientist. And now here I am director of research. Um, and I've been at IONS for six years now, which is amazing to think about. When did you start your research on channeling at IONS? It was shortly after I began. Uh, once I started and started getting into the literature about parapsychology and found this huge wealth of information and that IONS had done previous studies, 
um, that inspired me to uh, formulate the channeling research program at ION. So I basically was pulling from what I learned from the literature, from the previous studies that had happened and asked, okay, so what are the important questions that we still don't know that we need to do research on in this area? And so that set out the various research questions of our channeling research program. You know, what do we already know? What don't we know? How common is it? How does it work? Can we verify the information? Who can actually do channeling? Can anyone do it? Are there specific um, aspects to it? And then is there um, value to the content in and of itself that can we can use to support us? So each one of those questions, we've done a number of different studies on each of those. And that formulated the structure for the book that you mentioned, The Science of Channeling, which came out in September. So I go very deeply into the various research that we and others have done on those questions and uh, lay it out in the book in, I wanna make sure that people know it's in layman's terms. So it's not a, even though it's talking about the science, it's very in very accessible language. So um, the average person can understand it. I hope you had that experience. Oh, it's, it's fascinating. It's just, it's a wonderful, wonderful book, almost like a story. And I could really, could really relate, relate to that. So could you share with our listeners what um, noetic means and how Edgar Mitchell, how it all came about the Institute of Noetic Sciences? Sure. So noetic um, comes from its origin is a Greek word means noesis, which is essentially inner wisdom. And it's all about tapping into that inner wisdom knowledge that we all have within ourselves and so ions is almost about to turn 50 actually and ions was founded by edgar mitchell who was an apollo 14 astronaut and the sixth person to walk on the moon so he was an engineer by training and ended up working at nasa and was on the moon he did his job and then was coming home and was in the capsule, the capsule was spinning, and he was seeing the earth, the sun, the stars, and it was rotating over and over again. And he went into a transcendent oneness state where he felt um, completely connected to everything that he was seeing and that it was also part of him. As an engineer, he'd never had any experience like this before in his life. and came back to earth and was very focused on trying to figure out what that was. What was that sense of interconnectedness and how does it work? And how do we, you know, replicate that? And why did he experience, but not everybody else can experience it. So in 1973, he started IONS and IONS has been essentially doing that work since then in various ways through various research and educational capacities is looking into this interconnectedness um, that you know we believe is the basis or proposes the basis of of reality and really what shamanism the study of shamanism and indigenous cultures have have always known right right yeah right so let's talk about some of those those topics that you you chatted about earlier and um, that you share in your book. So can you give us the general definition of channeling and all the different ways that a person and who can do it and all the different ways that it comes about? Sure. So like I said, I have a really broad definition of channeling, which Mm -hmm. is essentially the process of accessing information and energy not limited by our conventional notions of time and space and that this process can appear receptive or expressive so i mentioned already that channeling experiences show up on a spectrum so we have intuition gut hunches everyone can say that they've had an intuitive hunch that came true 
Um, we also have things like knowing the future or being able to get an impression about something that you wouldn't normally know with your traditional five senses. Um, being able to sense what someone else is thinking, whether it's in front of you or at a distance. And then the experiences that are perhaps a little more rare, like mediumship, where mm -hmm. people believe that they're connecting with deceased humans or uh, trans channeling, like I mentioned. So there's this huge variation and many people have more than one. So we propose at IONS that everybody has the capacity. It's an innate, you know, we're born with it, this capacity to be able to channel, to tap into this intuitive wisdom. And yet the way that it shows up for them is unique. And so we call that the noetic signature. So everyone has their own unique noetic signature and the way that they, um, their channeling is expressed in their lives. And so we've just finished a series of studies mm -hmm. looking into this noetic signature. And we have ended up with something called the noetic signature inventory. And it has 44 items on it and you can take it and you end up with 12 different scores that range from zero to 100. Those scores reflect 12 characteristics that show up in people's signature. For example, this is one that I have, which is feeling things in your body. So I often will get goosebumps on my skin if there's something that is showing up for me as truth. If I'm making a decision in my life and I'm thinking of one and I don't feel anything in my body, but I'm thinking of the other and my whole body lights up with goosebumps, I'm like, oh, okay, that's the way to go. So that's a common experience um, of channeling of people feeling it in their body. There's also, you know, we saw so many stories from people about, I just know it, like the information yes. just comes to them, or I just feel it. They just feel the information is true. And it comes fully formed without any sort of intellectual processing. So those are just a few examples. And um, this idea of the noetic signature, that's really, you know, proposing this idea that everybody can channel it's just what's your unique channeling structure and one of my goals in promoting this work is to really highlight to people that it's not that some people are better than others or you know um that there's this superiority inferiority around the channeling but really being in a place of curiosity to explore their own noetic signature and how that shows up for them and if they choose to to be able to nurture it so it can help them in their lives can you tell us the story about after your mom um no your grandma your grandma had passed and she had told you a little secret and then i think it was your uncle or someone brought her through can you tell us that story Sure. Um, it is a it's a little embarrassing story, but I will share it. So my grandmother, my mother's mother, who was a trans channeler, she um, passed when she was about 75 and she had many health issues just before she passed. So you know, we knew she was getting close and I was in her hospital room on my own with her. And, you know, we were talking about her process and where she was at. And she said, you know, I don't really want to go because, you know, even though I was married to your grandfather so long in life and I like him, like I have no desire to be married to him for eternity. And in our, in, you know, her upbringing, she was raised Orthodox Christian. There was this um, and I actually haven't researched if that's true or not, but there's this understanding that once you're married, you're married for eternity. Yes. And she didn't want to be married to my grandfather <laughs> in eternity. So this was creating anxiety in her about passing, even though her body was breaking down and she was kind of ready to go. So she did eventually, and I, you know, I didn't know what to say. I just tried to reassure her. Um, she did pass. And then 
I don't know, I think it was maybe six months later, my mother, who was also a trans channeler, um, channeled who we believed was my grandmother. And, you know, same grandmother's mannerisms, etc. And I didn't tell anyone about that conversation. Yeah. So, you know, it just seemed really personal. So my mother in trans channeling, supposedly my grandmother said to me, you know what? She said, I'm not married to him here. She said, I see him every once in a while, but he's doing his thing and I'm doing mine. And it's all good. I was worried about nothing. Oh my so that gosh. was quite fascinating to me. And, you know, my mother didn't know about that story. And, you know, some people might argue, oh, you know, my mom read my mind or something. And but the motivation's just not there. So to me, that's a kind of an evidential anecdote. Yeah, I love that story. So let's jump in um, before we go back to some of those topics you mentioned, um, a couple of your research studies. And I was fascinated by the quantum noise generator study. Could you, could you briefly tell us about that? Sure. So that study uses a device that is based on this concept of randomness. So just for a little bit of background. So there have been num a number of parapsychology studies using random, no uh, random number generators. And the concept is that our consciousness can influence the physical world. And we create experiments to test this by having a target, a target of our consciousness or our intention. Yes. And one of the targets that's been used are these random noise generators. So what these devices do very simplistically is basically spit out zeros and ones in a random way. And if you look at all the data that they spit out, there should be an equal number of zeros and an equal number of ones that they just randomly spit out zero one zero one zero one. So there have been numerous experiments showing that um, these devices deviate from randomness when we direct our intention towards it. And these have been done in the lab, they've been done in the field, they've been done looking at collective consciousness. And that's, you know, we could do a whole nother, you know, 10 shows about that research. Um, but but in relation to channeling, we at IONS created a device similar to the random number generator, but it's called a quantum noise generator because instead of zeros and ones, it's essentially spitting out random noise. So we had 16 of these quantum noise generators in the corner of the living room where we were doing a group trance channeling study. So there were five trance channelers sitting in the living room of this home, and we would do tra uh, trance channeling sessions. And then sometimes we would sit in the similar spots and just chit chat about what was going on in the uh, research, etc. but without trance channeling. So we took the data from those devices and uh, it, they were running the whole three and a half days that we did the study. And we looked at the data during the channeling sessions versus the not channeling sessions. And we found a significant difference mm -hmm. between that data. It was more coherent during the channeling. So that means it was less random. This was quite fascinating because it was more coherent in a couple ways. So we looked at the data of one of these devices. And so it was more coherent when we compared it over time. So that's essentially coherent through time. Then we looked at uh, the 16 devices in relationship to each other, and they were also more coherent with each other. So that essentially represents more coherence across space. Right. So this was a fascinating study and it's just one small study. So we'd really love to be able to do more studies 
uh, with trans-channeling with these devices. We've also found similar findings during energy medicine healing sessions, mm -hmm. where it was more coherent during energy medicine sessions. Um, so there's something there. We actually are using that technology in a current study where we're trying to visualize the biofield. So because it was sensitive in these other energetic modalities, if you will, perhaps it can pick up the biofield and changes in the biofield. So if your audience is curious about that, stay connected and get on our email list so we can share with you when the results of that study are complete. Wow. And I want to talk a little bit about Mount Shasta. But before we do that, um, what are the benefits of, of getting in touch with, with these beings and those sorts of things? What do, you, what do you find personally and with others that you've worked with? So I can speak to that on multiple levels. I mean, personally, I have reaped huge benefits from channeling in my life. I don't usually bang my head against the wall anymore in terms of um, making decisions, you know, opportunities flow to me, there's greater synchronicity um, and, you know, supporting my health as well. In terms of people that I work with, one of the most common experiences that I notice is that people become um, more relaxed and trusting about decision making in their life. For example, if you know people are struggling with a decision and they're weighing pros and cons and they're looking at it very intellectually, it can sometimes be very challenging for people to make decisions. Mm -hmm. And when you bring in the intuitive that doesn't mean you throw out the intellect you still look at the facts and yet it can often support people to make decisions more easily and feel more trusting about the next steps for themselves in their lives if you look at the research you know in general the benefits are rampant you know we have evidence from multiple surveys and qualitative studies around the world that people receive benefit from channeling experiences, from having that role in their lives. They have improved quality of life. They're you know, better functioning, um, are happier, and they find that channeling brings meaning to them. So you know, we see that in multiple different research studies. So in general, channeling can support you and is, is good for you. There are a small group of people where channeling is stressful or they feel some negative effects from it, or it may be related to a mental health um, issue that they need to get support from. So that's also true too, but that's usually um, a very small minority. In general, most people feel huge benefits from it. So how do you feel these benefits how do you think we could interweave it into our children's lives? I know that one way you talk about, we can put these two questions together, like how do people begin this process? They want all these benefits and you talk about meditation and a few other things. So could you talk about that and how you feel that we could use this knowledge and some of these practices so our children could learn all of this wonderful stuff at a very young age, even though they still, they already know a lot of it, the very young ones. Yes, it's so true. I mean, children are so much more connected to their intuition naturally. And so I feel that it's not about teaching them per se, it's about mm -hmm. allowing them to keep supporting that. So, you know, our, our Western culture is very, externally focused and becoming more so with our technology and so there is a experience of looking outside of ourselves for answers and so simply you know inviting the child to answer their own question well what do you think how do you feel in your body what do you think is the right choice what's the right choice for you so 
you know, I'm so blessed to have two incredible children, one's 21 and one's nine. And so, you know, with the nine-year-old, a simple example is around food and eating, you know, and it's some people might call this just, you know, embodied awareness, like how does your tummy feel and do you need any more? And, you know, or, you know, if we're looking at different vitamins or something, you know, he's, I'm like, okay, which one do you think is going to be best for you? And he'll close his eyes and take a little deep breath and say this one. It's like, okay, let's trust that. So I think it's about really nurturing them to trust their intuition about what might be good for them. And that's a very empowering parenting style, you know, Um, instead of telling them what to do or how to be or, you know, over-researching things. And again, I'm not saying that we should ignore intellect and our common sense from a intellectual perspective, but that um, not to give away our authority to it, you know, use it as a tool rather than a be all end all um, for our decision making and and supporting us. So that's for kids. Um, And kids actually, I think it's the other way around. I think we should learn from children instead of us trying to teach them we should watch them so that we can learn how to do what they're doing which is you know usually very very intuitively guided um so what i usually suggest for people if they're first starting out is number one having the belief that you can do it so that's like one of the strongest predictors Mm -hmm for people having channeling experiences or for doing well at lab tests. Number two is meditation. Finding whatever type of meditation supports you to be able to sit still quietly in a relaxed state with a focused mind. There's so many different meditation types out there. And now we actually have so many different apps that are often free that you can use to support yourself but finding some meditation technique that works for you that allows you to be in that place of stillness because most channeling happens more easily when we are in a um, mentally still state so even if it's just a few minutes a day and then asking any question that you have setting an intention for your intuitive abilities to be strengthened um, and then seeing what happens you talk a lot about intention in your book and i know dr raiden dean raiden did some research on intention Um, can you talk about that a little bit yeah so simply said intention matters so there have been numerous studies done looking at how our intention affects the physical world so we talked about the random number generators so that's one example and we see this in multiple studies in labs around the world that we can influence these random number generators and it's like okay well i don't really care about random number generators those are just these weird (laughs) devices We also see it in studies done with cells in vitro, with plants, with animals, and with humans, that when we direct positive healing intention towards these targets, that we see an effect. Now, the effect's not huge. It's not like this huge effect. It's a small effect, but it is still an effect. If you think that our consciousness um, is stuck in our brain, there's no reason for our intention to affect anything physical. So the fact that it does is actually quite remarkable. And we see this in many, many different studies. Um, And there's, of course, a lot more research to do around it, why it works, how it works. Um, But for the most part, the evidence shows that 
it does that it is not based on time it's not based on space it's often an instantaneous effect um, and that there is an effect there do you think there will ever come a time when materialists just th can throw up their hands and say well we don't know how but we know it does <laughs> the evidence is there we don't know how it happens but yeah i mean i love true. that it is true and you know <laughs> I think that we're right in the middle of that happening and more, you know, you have the people over here who are totally understand the post-materialistic paradigm and like, of course, you know, consciousness is fundamental. There's all this evidence arising that our consciousness is non-local and they are up on that information and they say, okay, this seems like, um, an aspect of our reality, right? Then you have, you know, the the entrenched materialists who no matter how much evidence you show them, they either just won't look at it or they don't believe it. And their worldview is completely entrenched in materialism. And it doesn't matter how much we show them, they're just right. going to stay stuck in materialism. But I don't worry about them. The people who is really our audience, who is the audience of the book and at IONS are the people in the middle, the people who are really open and curious and willing to see the growing evidence about this. And they're the ones who are going to say, oh, wow, I used to think like that, but look at all this. And now yes. I can think differently. And I have hope for those people because the evidence is really growing and I don't worry about the entrenched materialists and will they ever shift? I mean, perhaps if, you know, non-local consciousness channeling becomes um, intrinsic to the way our world functions, mm -hmm. then they won't be able to deny it anymore. So, I mean, this is a totally um, simple and maybe not realistic example, but let's imagine that there's a technology that gets created that is dependent on our intention. I drive up to my home, I mentally tap into a switch that's in my garage that's connected to opening my garage. So I'm mentally saying, okay, switch, open my garage, and then the garage opens, okay? So if that, if that garage opener, based on my intention, was all around the world, then those materialists are going to have to accept <laughs> that our intention can affect the physical world. They won't be able to deny it anymore. But yeah. until that happens, um, we just let them have their entrenched beliefs and, and don't worry about it. Right, right. I want to talk about Mount Shasta a little bit because I know that there are some groups that have gone out there and that some people have the question when you channel, do you do you just talk to people who have passed or do you talk to well, we know we talk spirit guides and, and this and that. And can you just talk about all the different places these beings came through where they were from and what they what they had to share i know it's a big question yeah um so the mount shasta study like i mentioned it was that group trance channeling study where we had five trance channelers um, in this home we had multiple sessions we videotaped recorded everything and it was an incredibly fascinating study. I'll give the caveat again that we can't, yes. with the tools that we have today, we can't prove what the source is. So who the trans channelers believe the source is, is just at this point a belief, right? So with that in mind, um, the various supposed beings that came through, there were 21 different beings um, 
deceased humans guides what is sometimes called ascended master who are supposedly um, humans who have passed and are not coming back to earth they are like in an evolved spiritual state and are supporting humanity um what might be called extraterrestrial intelligences or what they called off-world allies so beings from different civilizations that have also evolved are you know um beneficent i guess is the right word and mm -hmm. want to support humanity um there were i think seven different star systems that yes they said they came from and um archangel came through so and this you know that variety i think is a little bit unique you know when you look at many trans channelers today often there's one trans channeler channeling one specific supposed being that comes right. through all the time like esther hicks and abraham mm -hmm. and, um or the seth material but there's other trans channelers that don't have a specific being that they supposedly work with that it's really dependent on who their client is and that they will supposedly channel whoever needs to come through for that client um and you know we've done some research into the type of content that comes through the most common are personal messages for the client um, then there's also universal wisdom so you know like perennial philosophy like who are we as humans what's the nature of reality um, how do we support humanity to evolve um, the next most common i think is health and healing you know various things to support people around their health another common one is about um the future also uh, sometimes there's scientific and technological information that comes through the most common source when you look at these surveys are actually deceased humans um and obviously you see that reflected in the mediumship um community and and medium mediumistic sessions and stuff yes. like that so you know we can't really in this interview go into all the nuances of all that but i guess in summary i would say that the the supposed sources are quite varied and that the material that comes through is also varied but aligned to common themes and the underlying message of much of it is you know humans are more than they think they are mm -hmm. that you know at its core it's love and how do we you know awaken to the truth of our existence as these love beings and step more into that and supporting people to embrace that so many of the same messages that near-death experiencers come back with right that's right yeah i loved in your book where one being talked about what their world was like and they said our world feels like love celebration upliftment and the constant eager eagerness to learn and teach and talking about how their bodies were similar to stars and vibration was balanced between masculine and feminine communicate telepathically and thinking in blocks of thought and i just wow that sounds like pretty wonderful <laughs> a wonderful <laughs> place place to be do you do you feel that our vibration was ever high enough in the in our civilization that we were able to see beyond the five senses i mean we hear about fairies and and um you know things things a long long time ago all of these stories what do you think about that that's a great question i don't really know 
the answer to it. Um, you know, I was an anthropology major, and so I feel very interested in indigenous cultures yes. and um, indigenous wisdom. And, you know, it's a very recent and human history that we have become like from here up, right. you know, we humans used to live much more embodied intuitive lives. And so to your question of, do you think there was ever a time? It makes sense to me that we were probably more intuitive in our historical past and that perhaps that has been diminished. And what I can say is, you know, we just, um, published a paper and I don't know, I guess it's been over a year now on the genetics of psychic ability. And it was a small pilot study. And we were curious about this because anecdotally, you know, these, these phenomena run in families. And so is there a genetic component? So we did find a region of the non-coding DNA that was different in the psychics uh, compared to the controls. What was so fascinating about this is that the psychics had the original form of that genetic code and the controls had a variation or what you might call mutation. So this was intriguing. We then looked at a large genetic database that had thousands of genomes in it and proposed the questions um, if this was a mutation, was there a relationship of this shift to the spread of Christianity? Because we know Christianity persecuted witches, etc., people who may have had heightened um, channeling abilities. And so perhaps there was pressure to mutate to not having psychic abilities. And we found that there was a relationship so that in areas where there was um, more Christianity or a spread of Christianity, there was less of this original wild type, which represented psychic abilities. So that was fascinating. Then we also asked this question around technology. So like we just mentioned, like I was just sharing, okay, so now I have my GPS. I can just look at my phone to see where I should go instead of like tuning in and trying to intuit where the buffalo are going to be so I can get my meal. Like evolutionarily, it makes sense that we have these psychic abilities to support us and to survive. So the question we asked was, you know, is the spread of technology related in any way to whether you have or don't have this um, mutation or variation. And we found that that was a very strong predictor. So in areas where it was much more technologically advanced, there was an increase of this variation, meaning there were less people who had the original psychic code. So anyway, that's a long answer, but we're really excited about this research and it's just very preliminary and we really want to do more research on this. Um, so we're trying to raise funds so that we can uh, get this what we call SciGenes project moving forward and and see if if this is really true if there is yes. you know something something to that finding that we found wow uh such fascinating important information so what else are you guys working on over at ions we have so many we have 21 <laughs> active projects right now but i will say i'm really excited about the noetic signature inventory that's yes. going to be launched in the next couple of months so i invite people to please watch out for that we're also actively recruiting participants for a 
telephone telepathy study. So that's looking at the genetics of telephone telepathy, you know, where your phone rings and you don't see it and you're like, oh, I know that that's so-and-so. And then right. you look and it's actually them. Many people have experienced that. And we also have another study where we have a website that has a number of different psychic games that people can play to see how they do on you know remote viewing and clairvoyance and precognition so that's uh we're revamping that it's a 20 year old website that's getting a facelift and is um about to be launched as well nice. so i invite people to please go to our website noetic.org get on our email list also, Marla, I don't know if you know the book, The Science of Channeling, that was released in September. Um, I invite your listeners to get that. But we Absolutely. also have a course, a Science of Channeling course through IONS that goes um, much more deeply into the materials that I talked about in the book. So the course allowed me to spend more time on a lot of these pieces. So nice. I did not know that. Yes. So if your audience is interested in learning more about the science of channeling, each module has um, a lecture, me sharing about these topics. And then I do guided practice um, for each of the modules to help people practice and start their channeling practice if they choose to. Oh, how exciting. Do you ever use automatic writing in, in the channeling practices? I guess it's kind of the it goes right along with all the other the other things. Yes, absolutely. Um, many people have an affinity for that, and that's a wonderful way to. Mm -hmm. It's a form of trans channeling, essentially, because your hand is moving without you right. knowing what you're writing. Um, so I've dabbled with it a little bit, but um, I don't have an active uh, automatic writing practice. Yeah. But I really encourage people in the book and in the course to be very curious about their own signature and what resonates with them and to, you know, have an attitude of play and joy about it all and discovery. Be more childlike. Why did you decide to finally write the book? I was inspired, you know, intuitively inspired and also you know, when I first started talking about this in public, um, I got such a huge response from people and they almost always were like, I can't share this with anybody, but I right. had this experience or I'm afraid to tell some, tell anyone, but I had this experience. And I was so struck by the fear around channeling and that it was so it's so common it is so common if you're in a room of 10 people eight to nine of those people probably have had a channeling experience yes. and yet everyone's afraid to talk about it so i wanted people to hold that book up and say look look i'm not alone there's actually research on this check it out you know here read this book right. so that was really my my calling for doing it love it do you have a copy of your book there because i do i have to get up to get it you want me to grab it sure grab it <laughs> beautiful i love the cover mine is on that icloud reading app or <laughs> i would grab yeah. mine <laughs> very Thank exciting you. well this must be just oh my gosh maybe your intention come true that you're working for the i i it's hard for me to even think of a more fascinating place to work. So I'm I'm so excited for you and for the institute and all the all the work that you're doing. Um, Thank you. So we need to wrap it up. But is there anything? Um, I think you did just kind of shout to the world what you would yeah. like to shout. But anything else you'd like to say? Just deep gratitude for everyone who's listening and for your path and just inviting you to really bring love and kindness to yourself and this incredible process of discovery and stay connected. There's so many incredible things that you can join us on. Great. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening in today. 
If you want to learn more about the show, you can find us at interviewswithinnocence.com and on Facebook or Instagram at interviewswithinnocence. Please write me a message. Tell me what you liked and let me know what else you would like to hear. I would love to hear from you. And if you liked what you heard, please leave us an iTunes rating and review. It helps other listeners find the show. Thank you. Thank you.